You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and it is now day 64 of us staying inside to try and stop the spread of the coronavirus. Here's your quarantine tip of the day. If you're cutting your own hair in quarantine and you accidentally cut too deep, here's something to help you out. Just fill in the empty patch with hair from somewhere else. Yeah, I've got hair from four body parts up here. Which ones? I'll never tell. Anyway, on tonight's episode, Jordan Klepper joins a protest, how you can use Zoom to send someone to their death, and the president of the United States is on drugs. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Sunshine. It's something we could all use right now, second only to moonshine. And while I can't legally give you my homemade backyard hooch, I can give you some good news of the day. Let's kick things off with Chuck E. Cheese, ground zero for the next pandemic. While most restaurants in the age of coronavirus have switched over to delivery, Chuck E. Cheese has been faced with the ultimate dilemma. How do you get people to order your crappy food when the only reason they ever came to your establishment was to entertain their kids and buy weed from your assistant manager? Well, it turns out all it takes is a little old-fashioned American ingenuity. Chuck E. Cheese is accused of tricking some Grubhub users. Several customers say they placed orders at Pasquale's Pizza and Wings. They thought they were supporting a local business. Every address for Pasquale's routes back to a Chuck E. Cheese. Well, turns out Pasquale is the name of one of those animatronic band members you see in Chuck E. Cheese, the fake band. The parent company for Chuck E. Cheese says it wasn't trying to fool anyone. It said Pasquale's is meant to be a premium pizza that's a little more upscale than you find at a kid's birthday party. Yes, Chuck E. Cheese has been pretending to be a different place online to try and sell their pizza. This is officially the weirdest episode of Catfish ever. By the way, can I also just say that I don't trust the person who uncovered this scheme? Because what adult knows the flavor of Chuck E. Cheese pizza so well? Wait a minute. This is Chuck E. Cheese. I eat this every day. All right, we're gonna investigate them. But after that, we're gonna investigate you too, you weirdo. Speaking of ingenuity, in South Korea, one soccer team got a little too creative about how to fill empty stadium seats. A soccer team in South Korea is in hot water after being accused of using adult companion dolls to fill empty seats at their stadium. FC Seoul wanted to fill empty seats with masks-wearing mannequins at its home opener on Sunday, but some observers of the game on TV noticed that these fake fans looked a lot like sex dolls. The club has issued an apology on social media and claims they were assured by the manufacturer that they were simply meant to be realistic mannequins. Yes. This soccer team thought they were getting mannequins to fill the stands, but instead they received sex dolls. Which means somewhere out there, there's some guys who ordered sex dolls, but ended up with regular mannequins. Oh yeah. You, uh, baby? Are you okay? You seem like you're somewhere else tonight. Talk to me. Now I'm gonna be honest, man. I don't get what the problem is here because yes, They might have used sex dolls in the stands, but they're not being used for sex. In fact, when you think about it, any doll can be a sex doll. 
Just ask nine-year-old me and He-Man. Our love was the power of Grayskull. And finally, one ray of sunshine coronavirus has brought us during these troubled times is that people are finding cleaner and healthier ways to get from point A to point B. If you're thinking about buying a bike, you may be prepared for a long wait. The U.S. is reportedly facing a bicycle shortage. Bike sales are through the roof right now since the pandemic began. More people turning to bikes to either avoid public transportation or just try to stay in shape and get some fresh air. Sales of bikes jumped 121% in March. Yes, it turns out more people are buying bicycles than ever before. And I get it. I mean, there's nothing better than biking on a nice day, cruising down the street, breathing fresh air, having a bug fly into your mouth, coughing uncontrollably, <laughs> almost throwing up. Oh man, bikes are the best. You know, bikes are like a Peloton that lets you ride away from your husband who's telling you to lose weight. But just remember folks, with more people biking than ever, it is especially important to bike responsibly. And I'm looking at you, Cirque du Soleil, that is not socially distant. It's pretty cool though. All right, that's it for the sunshine. Let's get straight into the headlines. Our first headline comes from France, the only country that allows you to add mistresses to your family cell phone plan. As the country begins to reopen after the pandemic lockdown, one of the things officials are insisting on is that everyone must keep their face covered in public. But they have very strict ideas of what that face covering should look like. There is concern in France that racism is at the heart of who can and cannot cover their faces and specifically how they do that. Face masks are now mandatory in public in France. There are cameras in the metro system and other public places to make sure people comply. But niqabs and burqas, face coverings worn by some Muslim women, are still banned. While critics see a contradiction, the French interior minister reminded people this week that the ban on religious face coverings will remain in place. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is the most ridiculous thing the French have ever done. And yes, that includes giving cigarettes the right to vote. I mean, really though, how does this make any sense? You have to cover your face, but then if your face covering is too Muslimy, then it's not okay? France is so anti-Muslim, if they found a passage in the Quran that said French is the best language, then France would be like, we do not speak French anymore. From now on, we will only be speaking English, s'il vous plaît. Meanwhile, here in America, one of the many things struggling to reopen right now is the court system. I mean, how do you hold a socially distanced trial? Well, one county in Texas is figuring it out. The first virtual jury trial ever in Texas is beginning today in Collin County. It'll be a civil case where the decision is non-binding. Jurors and the parties involved will take part remotely online. Collin County Judge Emily Miskell says a lot more time and research is needed before we see any criminal trials conducted this way. Yes, in Texas, they're now holding trials over Zoom. And this is either the best or worst idea in history because on the one hand, at least now you get to do jury jury from home. But on the other hand, I don't know if I want my fate decided by someone who was secretly watching Netflix in another tab. What? What? Oh yeah, uh, she definitely fed her husband to the tigers. Also, it's gonna be pretty awkward when a lawyer is trying to deliver an impassioned speech and someone's baby interrupts in the background because they forgot to mute their Zoom. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, just take a moment to think about this horrific crime. <laughs> but let's move on to the state of the coronavirus pandemic in America. 
As always, there's good news, there's bad news, and then there's news that just seems to come out of nowhere. The good news is that the curve is flattening and increased testing is helping officials track the disease. The bad news is that the US death toll is still climbing towards 100,000. And because of the virus's long incubation period, it'll be weeks before we know if states have opened too soon or not. And today's out of nowhere news is that a new study has found that additional symptoms of COVID-19 may include delirium, confusion, and agitation. And guys, I'm sorry, man, but this is now way too many symptoms for one disease. Like, how many is it now? Corona symptoms are like members of the Wu-Tang Clan. You think you know all of them, then you find out about another one you had no idea existed. I mean, at this point, it feels like the same way we search WebMD to see what we have. Coronavirus is using WebMD for inspiration on what it should give us. Ooh, delirium, I like that one, I should try that. Plus, this isn't the most useful information because delirium, agitation, and confusion, those are also symptoms of just being in quarantine. I mean, I'm getting delirium from watching the news. I'm agitated from staying inside all the time. And I'm always confused about the days of the week. What day is it? Wednesday? Is that even how you say it? All right, I've got to go disinfect my groceries. But when we come back, we'll find out why President Trump might be poisoning himself. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Our big story is about Donald J. Trump president of the United States and loving father of two out of five. Last night, we talked about the latest Trump political scandal, the firing of the State Department's Inspector General. And this is a weird one because when the story was first being told, what we heard was that Trump fired the IG because he was investigating whether Mike Pompeo had used government employees to run personal errands for him. But then, Later on, it came out that the IG was also investigating whether Pompeo illegally bypassed Congress to sell billions of dollars of weapons to Saudi Arabia. So yesterday, Trump was asked why he fired the inspector general, and his answer was pure gold. I don't know him, uh, never heard of him. I was uh, happy to do it. Mike uh, requested that I do it. Uh, he should have done it a long time ago, in my opinion. He's an Obama appointment and he had some difficulty, but uh, I just don't know who he is. I really, I don't know. I never heard his name. No, man, I'm sorry, guys. Is it just me or is this like the 50th time Trump has fired someone that he's never heard of? I bet pretty soon Trump is gonna start firing random people who don't even work for him. Yeah, you're just gonna show up for work one day and your boss will be like, bad news, Bob. You've been fired by the president. Wait, can he even do that? Probably not, but you're just not worth fighting for. So there was a lot going on with the story. Shady arms sales, misuse of government staff, and taxpayer money, the president interfering with government oversight. And usually, I mean, usually, this would blow up into a major scandal. But Trump has a special talent. Just when you think the news is going this way, he finds a way to drop a bomb that completely switches everything up. President Trump reveals he is on a daily dose of an unproven drug to protect against the coronavirus. In the White House, surrounded by restaurant executives, the president made the stunning announcement as an off-the-cuff remark. A lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. I happen to be taking it. Hydroxychloroquine? I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. When? Right now, yeah. Yeah, when... A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. The president said he is taking the drug as a preventative, not because he has tested positive or has any symptoms. Can you explain, sir, though, you, what is the evidence that it has a preventative effect? Here we go. You ready? 
here's my evidence. I get a lot of positive calls about it. And I say, hey, what do you have to lose? Okay, what do you have to lose? No, 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 no. Oh, no. Are you serious? Trump has been experimenting with hydroxychloroquine. The same drug the FDA said no one should be taking for coronavirus outside of a hospital. That drug. Where they were like, look, man, we don't know. Just, just don't try it. He's trying it. And guys, I'm not going to lie, man. I feel so bad for this guy's secret service. Because you have to admit, they have had more on their plate with Trump than with any other president ever before. Can you imagine a day in the Secret Service's life? Keeping my eyes peeled, making sure there's no threats. Everything looks clear, we're all good. Mr. President, what did you eat? What is that in your mouth? Mr. President, open your mouth. Say ah, say ah, Mr. President, say ah, ah. Like at this point, what unhealthy thing isn't Trump doing? He's taking hydroxychloroquine, he eats fast food every single day, and yet he is still alive. I wouldn't be surprised if one day we discover an ancient cave painting and right in the middle of all the other cavemen, we find Trump. Fake news, I never touched that dinosaur. Now, as with anything Trump says, no one knows if he's actually telling the truth about taking hydroxychloroquine. Like, we don't know. Maybe he's just distracting people from the Inspector General story, or from all the coronavirus deaths, or from the fact that his most trusted advisor is actually one of those South Korean soccer dolls. We'll never know. But if it is true, it's concerning. Because hydroxychloroquine, at best, is unproven as a treatment for coronavirus. At worst, at worst, it could make you more likely to have like a heart attack. So Trump is either taking a dangerous, ineffective drug, or he's lying about doing it just for the lulls. Either way, people are worried. People including Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House and world's most famous cat clock. In fact, she went on CNN last night to voice her serious concerns about the president playing doctor on himself. As far as the president is concerned, um, the, uh, our, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. No, 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 <laughs> no, Nancy. Morbidly obese? Whew. That is definitely shots fired. And you know what's weird? Is that Pelosi started to say it diplomatically, and then it looked like she just gave up in the middle. Especially in the president's, um, shall we say, weight group. Uh, he's uh, too fat to live, if you will. And I know Trump is gonna be mad about this, but the people who are really gonna have a hard time with this, all the White House staffers who have to explain to Trump why Nancy would call him morbidly obese, when he knows he only weighs 210 pounds. I mean, that's the number the bathroom scale has had on it for years. And look, man, there's no denying that Trump isn't exactly in shape. But this comment has opened up a can of worms. Like the whole internet, the whole internet was laughing at him. President Plump was trending on Twitter the whole day. But the truth is, the truth is, my friends, that mocking the president's weight also makes a lot of people who aren't Trump feel like shit too. So please, just remember, Trump's not an asshole because of what goes into his mouth. He's an asshole because of what comes out of it. Basically, think of it this way. If you weight shame one person, you weight shame everyone. And I, like, I know I also have to keep that in mind the next time I make fun of Eric Trump. 
Because there's a lot of good people out there who look like vampires whose dads have blocked their numbers, and I need to be more sensitive to that. I'm gonna work on that. But anyway, that's Nancy Pelosi. As a Democrat, trolling Donald Trump is her constitutional duty. What's more surprising is that Trump's self-medication regimen also raised alarms from some of his biggest fans on Fox News. Why would the president be taking hydroxychloroquine? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I found it to be highly irresponsible for the president to have come out and, and make that statement. There's no reason to listen to people uh, really who have no medical knowledge whatsoever pontificate about if it's useful or not. Just listen to your doctor. If you are in a risky population here and you are taking this as a preventative uh, treatment to ward off the virus, or in a worst case scenario, you are dealing with the virus and you are in this vulnerable population, it will kill you. I cannot stress enough. This will kill you. So again, whatever benefits the president says this has, this is a leap that, that should not be taken casually by those watching at home or assuming, well, the president of the United States says it's okay. Damn. This, this is surreal. Fox News condemning Donald Trump. I mean, this is like doing something so bad that your own dog takes off its collar and just walks away in disgust. Man, someone needs to rescue you. But this is what it's come to. Fox News telling its viewers that if you listen to the president, you might die. I mean, Trump has basically turned the presidency into an episode of Jackass. They gotta throw that warning up before every press conference. And hearing that from his favorite TV channel clearly affected Trump. Because last night he tweeted, Fox News is no longer the same. You have more anti-Trump people by far than ever before looking for a new outlet. And if Trump actually goes through with this threat and stops watching Fox, it would be the biggest breakup since, I don't know, Elon Musk and reality. But for people who don't want to see this beautiful relationship end, the good news is Fox News is trying hard to win the president back. If you're mad about Fox News sometimes pushing back on your administration, then worry no more. Introducing a bold new Fox News lineup for the president. From 6 to 9 a.m., start your morning off with Sean Hannity. President has been right. We've been right. Then from 9 a.m. to noon, your workday begins with Sean Hannity. New York would be dead without Donald Trump's help. Period. At noon, get in your workout with Sean Hannity's Karate Hour. <laughs> At 3 p.m., Sean goes to the bathroom. So for five minutes, we've got Judge Janine. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more deadly doesn't reflect reality. Then it's back to Sean Hannity. At 5 p.m., check out an all-new The Five, starring five Sean Hannitys. Just a few short words. President Trump is winning. Then from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Sean begs for sleep. But guess who's not going to get it? Sean Hannity. Even the New York Toilet Paper Times figured out that that dirty dossier that was... Fox News. All new, all Hannity, all for Trump. Thank, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, Hmm. I feel like it could use a little more Hannity. When we come back, Jordan Klepper sees how the reopening of America is going. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. You know, all across America, there are people who want to open up everything right now. And there are other people who think we need to take things slow. But what happens when these two groups meet face to face? Well, our very own Jordan Klepper went to find out in another installment of Surviving and Thriving.
While I'm doing my best to isolate at home, protests to reopen the country have popped up all over the place. They're full of people shouting for a return to their normal lives, their normal abs, and their normal hairstyles. Who has the right to tell me I can't get a haircut? I can't go here, I can't go there. And there are also healthcare workers who have been protesting the protests. They're trying to convince people to stay home and avoid opening businesses too soon. And these people who actually help us not die have been greeted like this. I wanted to talk to these brave frontline healthcare workers. So North Carolina oncology nurse Amber Brown Skyped me while she was on her way to her third week of counter-protesting. What are you feeling right now? It always makes me a little excited because when I get to basically be a foil to the madness that's about to happen. A foil to the madness that's about to happen. Yeah. I've played that role before. <laughs> what are you trying to say to the local government? We want to support our governor. Our governor supports not reopening yet and then a staged reopening. And then he also agrees that until we're doing more testing and until healthcare workers have proper PPE, we don't need to reopen. You feel like you want your guys' voices heard as opposed to the small number of outside voices being heard. Yes. And yet, you're the ones wearing masks. We're the ones that know the virulence of the virus. You're starting from a disadvantage here. <laughs> what do you think their ultimate message is? They want a haircut. Trust me, I want a haircut as bad as the next guy. This is like my brand, but I've been okay for a few weeks. Thanks for your sacrifice. <laughs> But the messaging from the Reopen campaign took a hit when the virus showed it has a strong sense of situational irony by infecting one of the group's organizers. But some North Carolinians are totally comfortable rushing back into the streets. There must be a reason. Are people just healthier in North Carolina? No, not exactly. We're, you know, the stroke belt. <laughs> That's your nickname, the stroke belt? The stroke belt, yeah. To be fair, North Carolina is not exactly the healthiest place. Even your meat smokes down there. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been out there. As Amber approached, I started to see the usual signs. Somebody's coming up behind you. What, what's that sign say? Let's see. Bill Gates is trash human scum. Definitely an Apple guy there, huh? I get it. The Microsoft operating system sometimes is difficult. Here we are. There they are in their parking lot. Tyrants answer to God. Reopen and see. Yeah, there's really not as many people as they were last time. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? Do you think the reopen people are looking around like, I see our numbers are down. Do we want to look into that? So why are these nurses putting themselves in harm's way? Second-year nursing student Carrie Shropshire has also been coming to these events for the past three weeks. We do not believe what these people are saying all of North Carolinians believe, and that's why we're here. What do you think most North Carolinians believe? That we need to stay at home and continue to flatten the curve. We did a great job so far, and we need to keep doing it. She's actually right. Two-thirds of America is concerned about lifting restrictions too quickly. And even the local government in Raleigh has taken steps to ensure that both of these groups are safe and comfortable. Last week they stormed the General Assembly and so we set up on purpose in front of it before they got there. The police are not allowing them to come down as long as we are physically in front of it. Three weeks ago the situation looked like this. But this time the police keep the two groups apart. 
So the police is separating you from the reopen protesters right now to keep everybody apart. Correct. What I'm hearing is that a coordinated governmental effort to keep people safe was effective? Yeah. I'm sensing snark. I actually can't tell because of what you're wearing right now. It's an amazing concept and one that maybe our federal government could learn from. But until then, let's recognize that these healthcare workers are on two front lines. They're fighting the virus and the bullshit. Thank you guys. When I see this, I realize that 90s boy band formation was decades ahead of its time when it came to social distancing and PPE. I'm with you guys in spirit. Technically not there. I'm, I'm hundreds of miles away, but thank you. Staying strong and apart. Thank you so much, Jordan. When we come back, my guests and I will be discussing New York's foster care system. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. And earlier today, I got the chance to speak to Kerry Moles. She's the executive director of CASA NYC, which is an organization that helps children in foster care and those who age out of the program. And we were also lucky enough to be joined by Brianna Hayes, who spent her teenage years in the foster care system. Kerry and Brianna, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you. Thank you. There are a lot of misconceptions around foster care. You know, uh, I don't even know what I don't know about foster care. You know, we, we see portrayals on television. We have ideas of who a foster child is. We have an idea of who a foster family is. But, but I think the, there are a lot of gaps between what people know and what people need to know about foster care, especially in America. So, Kerry, uh, just give us a breakdown of what you do in the foster care system and, and what you're trying to achieve in the world of fostering. So CASA, NYC, Court-Appointed Special Advocates of New York City, we are one of a network of nearly a 1,000 CASA programs nationally. Uh, we operate in New York City. Each one is independently operated. But we leverage citizen volunteers to advocate for children and youth in foster care. Um, so judges appoint us to the cases of kids in foster care. When a judge is concerned that a child maybe isn't getting their needs met by the system or they're at risk of being stuck in the system too long, or they're aging out of the foster care system in New York, that's at 21, without having uh, what they need to live independently successfully. Um, so CASA NYC uh, recruits and trains and, and supervises volunteers to do that advocacy work because our volunteers are able to really spend a lot more time, provide one-on-one -on -one attention to each child, um, Whereas the caseworkers and the lawyers, even, you know, the ones who work really hard and they do, um, but they just couldn't possibly, you know, spend as much time in a day on every child on their caseload. Right. It seems like a really complicated issue because, I mean, you, you're, you're trying to fulfill multiple jobs in, in a person's life. I mean, housing, education, income, um, you know, preparedness for the world. Um, Brianna, you, you, you are actually from the system. Uh, you, you, you lived your life as a foster child and grew up out of the foster care system and went on to work a, as a chef. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the foster, you know, the fostering world. Like, w what are some misconceptions that people have about you or your life that you wish they would understand? Um, that teens are stuck in their ways. When I say teens are stuck in their ways, I think about times where I was an older kid in foster care. Yeah. And it was hard for them to find me a foster home. 
you know, I was sitting there waiting for a new foster home and feeling like, you know, no one's going to be there. No one's going to come get me. People think that, oh, you know, kids, kids are coming from these places and just be putting in, putting in homes and they're going to be happy. We're not going to be happy because even though we were traumatized in those places or hurt in those places, those are the places that we know. So you took me from a fam, my family and you put me into a system with a bunch of strangers and you expect me to behave. And then you you diagnose me with behaviors because I act out. You right. know, so. If, if you if you don't mind me asking, how did you end up in the foster care system? Because I know everyone has a different story and it determines a lot of how their life um, uh, rolls out. Okay, so I first got into foster care when I was 14, going on 15. Um, my mom was put out a pins warrant. Basically, my mom was like, you know, she's not listening to me. She's been running away. It's like basically giving your parent the, the opportunity to be like, well, my kid is acting up. Here's my kid. I don't want to be, you know involved anymore. I was involved in a lot of different things as a kid. You know, I was in a gang, I was running away. And my mom, she she wasn't seeing she wasn't seeing that from any of seeing any of that for me. So one day the cops knocked on my door and I remember feeling like I'm in trouble for something else. When really it was like she said, you know, they're here for you, get your stuff, you have to go. And I remember feeling that day like she had given up on me in a sense. From foster care my life was just it was just fifty different homes like a lack of connections to foster parents because of my sexuality, because, you know, some people are in it for the wrong things. They're, they're in it for the money or they're, they're, they're in it because they feel like they're doing something good. They can talk about themselves and say, I'm doing something good. But really when they look on the inside of the surface, it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not all the way what it should be. Carrie, on, on, on your side, you, you're always fighting to improve the foster care system. Um, you're always fighting against the odds because it is an imperfect system because it, it is born from an imperfect world. Parents who are separated from their kids, either forcefully or because they, they've chosen to be. Kids who struggle to connect with families, either because they've got issues from beforehand, because the families are not good at developing those connections. What are the ways you think the foster care system can be improved? And, and what are the difficulties in improving the system? I mean, I think one of the things that's most important for people to understand is that of the more than 400,000 kids in foster care in New York City, um, children come into foster care because of allegations of abuse or neglect against their parents. The vast majority of those cases are not physical abuse or sexual abuse, they're neglect. Um, 75% nationally and closer to 85% in New York City are neglect cases. And that neglect is often very closely tied to deep poverty, um, um, trauma, things like domestic violence and right. uh, substance abuse and mental illness that are related to trauma and that are really related to structural inequities and structural racism. And I think, you know, in New York City, we're on the right track because we've reduced the foster care census to 8,000 from close to 50,000 in the early 90s by mm -hmm. providing more and more preventive services, by spending more, you know, effort going into homes and helping families uh, resolve the problems and resolve right. the issues in their homes rather than just jumping to take those kids away. Um, but we still have a long way to go. But it's really difficult because the, the system um, has a hard time recruiting foster parents. Right, I can imagine. Uh, um, especially foster parents who have really the means, the capacity, the time, and the energy to spend really mm -hmm. taking care of kids who've experienced trauma. Right. Um, they've always experienced trauma. So the behavioral issues Bree's talking about, you know, come from someplace. It's not because she's a bad person. 
Um, and, you know, she has been able to, I think, with um, her incredible resilience and also the support of the parents who had ultimately adopted her and um, organizations um, that with she's been able to really connect to. So it's really about helping. I think the most important thing we can do is make sure those young people, if they can't be reunited with their parents, which happens the majority of the time, but if they can't be, they need to be connected to permanent supports, to permanent family members, to adoption, and it's really hard for older kids to get adopted, mm-hmm. uh, or to, you know, lifelong supports. Um, sometimes a family member, it, it, it doesn't matter who it is, it's somebody who's, who's there for them for the long term. Your type of story could so often end in tragedy, and yet here you are, as you said, working as a chef. I know, you know, coronavirus has taken away your job, including millions of others, but but you are in this position where you took your love of food and you became a chef. You know, you're, you're a spoken word poet now. You, you have built a life for yourself from, you know, the many pieces that, that, that were dealt um, to you. Is, is there a reason that you think you got to where you got to? Were there any positives from the foster care system that helped you maybe? Or, or do you think you got there despite the foster care system? It is it's, it's because of the foster care system because a lot of the times you put in you get put in situations where you can't change anything. So my my mindset is is, is am I gonna stay mad about it? Am I gonna stay stagnant, or am I gonna be better than the situation that I'm going through? And a lot of the times I find myself being resilient even when it hurts. You know, for me I think my my biggest thing I go by this quote is called um failure isn't falling down it's staying down. So remember to pick yourself up. So I just try to pick myself up and I, cooking makes me happy. I can make people smile through food. You know, poetry helps me teach people what my story is or what I've been through in life, you know, and it helps me connect to others. So I think for me, the biggest thing has been picking myself up and inspiring others. For me, that's something, it makes me happy because I know that I'm doing something, I'm teaching someone something, you know, I'm giving someone something good to eat, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it, 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 it really is amazing to get to where you've gotten to considering what, what you've lived through. Thank you so much for your time today, Kerry. Thank you, Brianna, both. Um, and I, I, hope, uh, I hope things get better. You know, maybe we'll have another conversation one day where we go like, hey, we managed to fix a, a few of those issues. Thank you for the time. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Kerry and Brianna. Now, if you want to get involved with CASA, then all you need to do is check out casaforchildren.org. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please remember that the COVID pandemic has taken a serious toll on many people's mental health. And here in the US, the Disaster Distress Helpline is trying to address this crisis. They've got counselors who are trained to meet the mental health needs of this unique situation. And if you would like to help them, all you need to do is donate whatever you can. If you'd like to support the crisis specifically in New York, then you can donate to NYC Well, which is also providing free, confidential mental health support. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wash your hands, and remember, food never spoils. It just develops new flavors. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 